You're listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. You can follow along with the notes for this message and get better connected with our church by visiting church2911.com connect. This week, Pastor Rick brings us a message that invites us all to live the dream. How is it that, that this dream that God has for us, and if it's his dream, how is it that it could be so elusive to, to most Christians? I mean, maybe all of us, because, okay, Jeremiah 29, 11, that's one of our main scriptures, right, about who we are. And God says, I know the plans I have for you. Okay, so God's not devising a plan right now, trying to figure out what to do for you. I know the plans I have for you. And they're plans of good and not of evil. I want to give you a future. I want to give you a hope. So if, if this is what God wants, how is it that you and I don't have that? How is it that it's elusive? How is it that we just can't ever seem to, to, to get it, you know? Uh, remember the scripture, and, and by the way, on the uh, sermon notes page, church2911.com slash connect, you go to the sermon notes, got a lot of scripture there that we just don't have time to, to dig into and sharing some of it with you right now, just like Jeremiah 29, 11, but also in Isaiah, and this is there also, you can read it. There's, it's kind of like a, a, a little parable there uh, that, that where there's a, a vineyard owner, and, and, and he's worked the vineyard, he's cleared out all the rocks, he's used the very best plants he can find to, to put down in the vineyard. He's done all this work, and, and, and it comes to the conclusion of like, there was nothing else that could be done. He'd done everything he could do. There was nothing else to be done or that could be done that hadn't already been tried or done. So, so the parable then is, is also to Israel and to us to think about it. God has already done everything that needs to be done. Everything is set. Everything is ready. The, the dream is just, you know, all we've got to do is start living it, right? Why is it then that with, if God has done every single thing he needs to do, why is it then that you and I don't yet live the dream, okay? So this morning, I want us to talk about four areas, real quick, if I can, as quick as I can, four areas uh, that really are just dream killers, things that, that we do in our lives or, or the way we live our lives, the way we approach things that, that happen in our lives that are just killing the dream, keeping the dream, because, because everything's ready. God has done every single thing he needs to do for you and I to walk in the dream. So let's get into these, okay? So here's the first one, losing battles that we should win, right? You know, losing battles that we should be winning. Has anybody ever lost a spiritual battle that you should have won? Yeah, definitely, right? So how is that? We're not supposed to be losing. If we're supposed to be winning those, how, how, how are we losing those? Yet we're, all of us, we're losing battles that, that we should be winning. Lou Holtz, Coach Coach Lou Holtz, and I love him. I loved him when he used to be on ESPN. Loved him. He said, it's not the load that breaks you down. It's the way you carry it. Now, here's what, here's what we want to do is, is we want to blame the load, right? We want to blame the burden. We want to blame the problem. We want to blame the battle. We want to blame the enemy. We want to blame all those things coming against us. But Coach Holtz here, he says, it's not those things that are coming against you that's breaking you down. It's the way you deal with those things. It's the way you handle it. Now, he's a football coach, right? And so, and so what, what he's doing is he, he's trying to coach us up. You know, you, you ever heard that term, coach you up, like get you ready, encourage you to jump in here and make it happen? He, he wants to coach us up. That's what Jesus did. You, you remember the story of Simon Peter. Now, in Acts chapter 2, Simon Peter, he preaches a message, and 3,000 people come to know Jesus because of, of this one little sermon there that happened right out there on the streets. 
3,000 people. And just a few days, a few weeks before that, if, you, if you'd have looked at Simon Peter, you'd have said, I, I, would, I wouldn't ever want to hear this guy preach a message because he had just denied that he knew Jesus three times, even cursing, swearing, I don't know the man. And, and now just a few weeks later, he's preaching a sermon and 3,000 people are getting saved. And you know what happened right before Simon Peter did that? Jesus coached him up. Jesus said, Simon Peter, you're going to mess up. You're about to come into a battle, and you're going to lose a battle that you should win. You're going to lose it. But, but pick yourself up. Get back in the game. And when you do, I want you to strengthen your brethren. I want you to encourage them. I want you to challenge them. Jesus was coaching Simon Peter. That scripture is also on that sermon notes page as well. Okay, he says, I want, I want, I want you, Jesus was coaching him up. All right, there's a, there's a, I got you another quote up here from Anita Bouchan. She said this. She said, failures contribute to your next chapter. Stop reading there for just a second. Failures contribute to your next chapter. Now, what do we do when we hit a failure? We kind of close the book, right? We hit a failure. We think it's over. We close the book. It's over. It's done. It's over with. It's like we don't think there's anything else after that because we had a failure. But failures contribute to your next chapter. What you've got to do is you've got to start realizing that even if you fail, there's another chapter. Like Jesus was telling Simon Peter, you're going to fall on your face tonight. You are going to embarrass yourself cursing and swearing that you don't know me. But when it's over, when you figure it out, get back up on your feet and start again. And that's going to contribute to your next chapter. It's going to happen. Failures contribute to your next chapter. Be resilient because all things happening to you are actually happening for you. Everything happening to you. See, we, we want to blame. We want to get mad. We want to we uh, throw in the towel. We want to quit. We want to say it's over with because of these things happening to us. But these things happening to us are actually happening for us. Okay, I, I want to give you an example. And this one is a really painful one, being an Alabama fan, okay? This is, this, this is really painful. So some of you Alabama fans are now like, oh, I don't want to hear this. Then it's painful for you to tell it, Pastor. Yeah, I was, how many of you have ever heard the term kick six? You know? Okay. Yeah, so you Auburn fans are going to enjoy this little bit of this message right here, okay? But kick six, okay? So a few years ago in the Iron Bowl, Alabama and Auburn, the game is just how much time is left on the clock? Got a second, right? Yeah, you saw the T-shirts, right? One second, one second. And so, you know, Alabama's got the ball, and it's a long field goal, but they could just run the timeout and, and, and go to overtime, but, but Coach Saban decides, let, let's send our, our new field goal kicker, our young guy out there, that, that fresh leg, and let's see if he can make it and, and end this game right here and right now. So he goes out and he kicks it, and he doesn't make it, okay? Now, at some point, it becomes obvious to everybody this ball is not going to make it all the way and score the three points to win the game. And so if, if nobody scores right here, it's going into overtime, right? And uh, if you know the rest of the story, then you know that Auburn ends up winning. And here's, here's, here's how it happened, okay? Here's really what happened is the way I see it. Is it wasn't really the players, it was coaching. Is that this is what Alabama said, is that Alabama's coaches said, okay, go in there and kick the field goal. And if we kick the field goal, then, then, then we'll win the game and it'll be over. But if not, we'll just have to go into overtime and we'll win. And so what Alabama was seeing was, okay, we'll just flip over and we'll go, you know, the end of the, this book's over, you know, we'll have to go into overtime, so new book's beginning. But not Auburn. 
He said, because the difference was, is what Auburn's coaches did, is Auburn coached their guys up. They said, if he doesn't kick it that far, we're going to catch the ball, and we're going to run it all the way back. Alabama wasn't ready for that. Alabama had their 300-pounders out there blocking. They couldn't even get over on the other side of the field to try and tackle the guy that was running it back for the touchdown to win the game. But Auburn, their coaches had coached their guys up. They believed that it wasn't over yet. That If that ball didn't make it far, that wasn't the end. That was just the opportunity for them to score and to win the game. And, and, and so, so I, I fully believe that the difference was in the coaching that night. And you know, you know what? You know what uh, uh, you know what champions do, and you know what real athletes do, and you know what people who, who are resilient do, is they learn from their mistakes, and they say, this is not the end, and we're going to build on this. And I believe Alabama tried to do that after the fact, but you can't erase kick six, one second left. You can't erase that happening. Why? Because they were ready for that. That's what God does also. You know, like what Jesus did it with Simon Peter. Also, I got you an example from the Old Testament. You know, David, you've heard of David, a little shepherd boy named David, right? You know, you know, a uh, shepherd boy named David, uh, he went out and fight, fight Goliath, you know, and he killed Goliath. Before he killed Goliath, though, there were some other instances in his life. That was not, when he went down into the valley to face Goliath, that was not his first face, time to face adversity. He was, watching his, he was watching his dad's sheep one day, and a bear came out of the woods to get one of the sheep. Now, what would you do if you were out watching sheep and a bear came out? You know, uh, you know unless you had your AK-47, you know, you're probably running the other way, calling somebody, screaming, yelling or something, right? I mean, how many of us really are going to face the bear over a sheep, right? You know, probably say, let him have one sheep and let me get the others home or whatever. But not David. He got up and he killed the sheep. You know what God was doing? You know, some of us, we get, some of us even get upset with God. Why did God let this happen in my life? Why did God let the bear show up? But you know what God was doing? God was coaching David up. Sometime after that, a lion came in, uh, to attack. And you know what David did? David killed the lion too. What was God doing? God was coaching him up so that when he saw the giant, God, David was already ready because he believed that he could win the battle. He believed because he had already been coached up. He was ready to do that. Now listen. There is no shame in losing to a superior opponent. There is no shame in that. You know, I believe that if David had gone down in that valley to face Goliath and, 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 and things had gone a different way and that, that Goliath had killed David instead, David would have still gone down in history as a hero. Come on, Israel would have probably been taken into slavery by the Philistines, but David, they would have still sung songs about him. They would have encouraged themselves, come on, we're eventually going to get out of this one day. By, you know, by that same courage and spirit that that little teenage shepherd boy had to go down and face Goliath, to stand up and face him because of his, because of his family and because of his country and because of his God, because of the things that he believed in, to defend those things, he would have still been a hero. But Goliath was not, contrary to what everybody else believed, Goliath was not a superior opponent because David wasn't down in that valley by himself. Somebody say amen. You know, here's your thing. Here's the thing. When your ally is God, we'll say it this way. When you are aligned with God, there are no enemies stronger and there are no battles that we should be losing. Amen. Come on. If you're a child of God, if you're on God's side and God's on your side, there are no battles you should be losing. There's not a single one of them out there. Every battle is not just a winnable battle. Every battle should be won by us if we're fighting with God and God is fighting with us. Okay? So here's the second thing. Kind of ties in right here just a little bit as well. Okay? 
is, here's another dream killer, is believing in a happiness theology. A happiness, you know, that, that God's purpose, you know, is to make me happy. Jesus died so that I could be happy. You know, be happy, happy, the happiest. Well, you know what? The Bible nowhere declares happiness as a goal. I don't see it anywhere. And if you don't agree with me, again, go to the sermon notes page, church2911.com slash connect, and, and look there for the sermon notes. So look, and I've given you a bunch of scriptures right there to just, just reinforce that, to show you what, what the Bible says about happiness. Okay, let's look, at, let's look at the word happy, though, for just a second, the, the definition there. And we know what happiness means, right? But the big thing is there at the, at the bottom, that it comes from the, the noun hap. That's the root of happy is this word hap that means luck or fortune. You see, here's the thing is, is if, you, if you're happy, then really it's based on luck or fortune. It's not even anything you did. You can't even be proud that you did anything. You can't feel any source of accomplishment or anything like that either, you know, because it's just luck or fortune. Well, this word hap gives us an, some other words, but one of them, you know, another word that we get from hap, happen. So then if we're chasing after happiness, then we're feeling an emotion based on what has happened to us, not based on what we've accomplished or not based on any, any good design, but just the happenstances of life. And so there's the problem then, is that, is that we're happy over things that happen, and then we're going to be unhappy over things that happen as well. And so those scriptures that I said I gave you, you know, about how all through the Bible, let me just, let me just tell you one real quick. And this is from the, the story of the life of Jonah. You've probably heard of Jonah, right? And the big fish kind of thing, that story. Well, in the story of Jonah, it's just a few chapters there. But if you go, go to the, the sermon notes page, you can find that one scripture. I've got it linked right there, and you can look at it. But in that story... In that whole story, the only time, we find one little time in all of Jonah's life that we know of, and there probably were other times, but there's only one time in the story that Jonah was happy. He, had a, he sat down and God allowed this plant, Now I don't know what kind of plant it was, obviously it wasn't an oak tree because it grew up real quick and then it died the next day. So it grew up real quick and died, you know, so it was just there for a little while and went away. It was more like a corn stalk or something instead of an oak tree, right, I guess, you know, because it, it sprang up so quickly. But it said that when it sprang up and gave him shade from the sun, Jonah was happy, but guess what? The next day it died and Jonah was angry. That's why God tells us, never, nowhere does he encourage us to chase happiness. Because happiness is going to be here for a little while, and it's going to be gone when the circumstances change. When what happens to you is different in a few moments than it is right now, your happiness is also going to be gone because there's nothing left there. That's why God tells there are things so much better. There are so many things so much better, and those are the things that the Bible points us to that are so much better than happiness, things like joy. You know what joy, joy is? Joy is like, it's kind of like happiness, but it's something that you have even when the circumstances change. Fulfillment is so much better than happiness. Contentment, having purpose in life, actually accomplishing something, not just having a good emotion because something good happened to you, and being the source of happiness for others is even better than happiness of yourself. If you don't know that, if you don't believe that, try it sometime. Try it sometime and find out that being the source of happiness for someone else is so much greater and so much more wonderful than actually trying to be happy yourself. So what do we do? Am I saying we should embrace our problems? No, I'm not saying embrace your problems. And I'm not saying that we should, we should be, be glad when we're not happy. That's not what I'm saying. Okay, next slide. Here's, here's what I'm saying. I believe 
We were created to look our pain in the eye, to grasp the experience, to do what we are able to do, what God has already enabled us to do, to do that first part, and then bring the rest to God to see what amazing thing we can accomplish together. Okay? I don't believe God created us that whenever we have our first little problem that we're supposed to fall apart. Come on. I don't believe Jesus died so that you and I could fall apart all the time every time a little problem shows up. Maybe he's coaching us up. Back to that first point, right? Maybe he's coaching us up. That we're not supposed to fall apart. That we're not supposed to be just blown away by every little problem that comes. That if today is not a just overly joyed and happy day, that it's okay. That I don't believe God created us to be up and down regardless, you know, just based on whatever the circumstances are in our life from day to day. I believe God created us to look our pain in the eye, to grasp the experience, to do what God has already enabled us to do, and then bring the rest to him and say, God, now let's see what you and I can do for the rest of this, what we can accomplish together. What amazing thing you do in life. I believe that's what God, that's how God created us. That's how God designed us. And so if we want to live the dream, we got to start believing that too. we got to start believing that. Okay, last slide here in this little section. If we want to stop losing battles that we should be winning, we can't choose happiness over solutions. God doesn't dream that we will be happy, but that we will be whole. That's what he cho- He chooses wholeness for you, which is so much more awesome than happiness. And if we want to stop losing battles that we should be winning, we got to quit embracing. we got to start embracing the solutions. And where do our solutions come from? They come from God. Okay, I, I had, man, I had to mark, just scratch a lot out yesterday. I just knew I, for the last three days, I knew I had too much stuff to preach, and I couldn't. Finally, yesterday, I just had to start, you know, just scratching stuff out. I don't have to. I'm going to throw this one in here real quick. I, I would have developed this if I had time. I'm just going to throw this real quick to you. God knows stuff. I don't know. And if you ever get that, it will be something that will help you keep your attitude straight even when everything else is going wrong. God knows stuff you don't know. God knows what's going to happen tomorrow. God knows the next problem that you're going to face. And even the problem that you're facing today that you already see, God understands it better than you would ever understand it. And God even understands you. He knows how you're going to react to the next problem that's going to happen because he, he, he wired you. He, he fixed you. He created you. He designed you in your mother's womb. He, he built you. And so he knows how you're going to deal with all these things. And so don't automatically respond negatively to bad news. Embrace it. Realize maybe God's coaching me up because God knows something I don't know. Pro, uh, Jeremiah 29 and 11, that he has great plans for us. He's already planned what he's going to do tomorrow for us. He's already planned that future and hope. And so we can't be blown away by that, but understand God knows stuff we don't know. So let, let, let's put it back in his hands. Let's quit taking it out of his hands. Let's quit making it about ourselves. And put it back in his hands because he's already got it figured out what he's going to do. Okay, third is, here's the, here's the third dream killer, is to trust in false sources of peace. To trust in false sources of peace. Okay, we're going to go to scripture right here in just a second. But before we do, there's a, this scripture is narrowly focused, the first part of it. And I want us to broaden our focus a little bit so us understand everything that Paul is trying to say to us right here, Okay. 
All right, so this is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, 19. Verse 18 says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life, okay? Now, I've heard that all my life. I've heard that, you know, in church all the time. Don't be drunk with wine. Uh, some, some translate the actual Greek words there to say because, you know, where there's debauchery or excess or something because, that, you know, that ruins your life. The debauchery ruins your life. So don't be drunk with wine because it'll ruin your life. I've heard that all, but very rarely do I hear, have I, have I heard people tie these two verses together. But if you look at the beginning of verse 19, what's the first word? Instead. You know what that tells me? That tells me it's connected to the first verse, right? It's not, these aren't two standalone verses. This isn't, you know, Paul didn't take a break, go have lunch, and come back right verse 19. You know, these two go together. He says, don't be drunk with wine that'll destroy your life. Rather, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your heart. So what he's saying is, he said, don't be drunk. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. What he's pointing out to us is that we should be seeking to be filled with the Spirit, but what some people do is they seek other ways to find their peace. Okay? Now, like, some people go get drunk for their peace. I got to forget. I can't deal with this today. I'm going to go get drunk. Okay, but, but, but I want us to broaden this a little bit, okay? I mean, if, if we were to take out, don't be drunk with wine, what if we just put it, don't rely on your addictions, you know, because they'll destroy you. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if I said that, that would broaden it a little bit because we'd be thinking about, you know, we'd be thinking about drinking, right? And about, maybe about three more, right? You know, other things that we do that just stress relief, right? Smoking, maybe. Or uh, what else? Overeating, maybe. Uh, yeah, pastor's messing. You know, he's just a little bit too much here now. We're getting too serious right here. But there's more than that. You know, with our cell phones today, I mean, they have become, they have become actually like, like, like havens of rest for a lot of people. You get out that phone and they start playing that game because I can just forget all of my troubles. I'm in this game right here, right now. You become a couch potato for the day and just, just binge watch because I got problems. I can't deal with them and I'm just going to watch my show today. and I'm going to watch back to back to back to back. Netflix has got it. I'm sorry, that's the way our, our uh, seven-year-old says it, Netflix. He says, you know, Netflix has got it on, you know, and I just watch it all day. And, and you know, here, here's the thing. Anything that you need to help you get through your day besides God, you're flirting with addiction. We should rely on nothing besides God to bring us peace and security. We should not have to, as a child of God, I shouldn't have to have anything else to get me through my day. Come on, my God is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. His strength is able. He can do and I should have nothing. So, so it doesn't, it's not just that thing. It's whatever thing. But here, here's, the, here's the question then we each have to ask ourselves. What is my source of peace that I run to? What Paul is talking about in those verses are people that hide, people that use masks, people that find escapes. Instead of dealing with life, instead of dealing with the battles, like Coach Holt said, you're not carrying them right. Instead of deal, we're going to hide from them. That's what Paul is talking about. What are the things we hide from? And when you figure out what it is, or what, or what are the ways that we hide? And when you figure out what that is, 
you know, right here, here's another thing I was going to have to, I had to scratch out of the message. I wanted to talk to you about fasting right here. And not just fasting food, I want to tell you, whatever, if you figure out what it is that you use to hide from your problems or from the world that you are using in the place of God instead of going to Him for your peace, instead of going to Him for your strength, instead of going to Him, as children of God, we're supposed to be going to Him with our problems and and praying and laying it all out before Him and believing Him and, and whatever that thing is that we use instead of going to Him then we need to just write it out of our lives. For, even if it's a good thing, write it out of your life for just a little while. You know, turn the TV off or, 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 or delete that, that app on your phone, whatever it is, anything that you're using to escape having to actually deal with your problems and go to God with him and say, God, help me. I am taking a hold of this. I'm looking my pain in the eye. God, help me do it. And let me see what amazing thing. All these things tie together. See right here? Because it's all about this attitude of how we do this. So here's the fourth one. Living life without commitment. Living life without commitment. And that, that, that seems to be a big deal today. People wanting to just go through life without having, but everything is a commitment. If you get married, that's a commitment, right? Right? It is, right? It's supposed to be, correct? It's not just something you do and if it doesn't work out, we just write it off, you know. No. Having kids, that's a commitment, right? Come on, some parents, you ought to be, yeah, amen, that is a commitment. Not just, and I'm not just talking about the money either, okay? Having kids is a commitment. Having a job is a commitment. You get paid, you've made a commitment. You signed on, you accepted a position, you've made a commitment. Having a car, that's a commitment. You know, if, if you're making payments on it, that's a commitment. But even if you paid cash for it, you had the money, it, it's still a commitment, you got to have insurance. you got to take care of it. There's still commitment. Everything we do in life as adults is commitment, okay? You can't do it. I, I dare you. Go find somebody. Find somebody that has been successful in business and ask them if they did it without commitment. Find someone who has an amazing marriage and ask them, did you build that without commitment? Find someone who has, who has raised awesome kids that have been successful in some way in life and ask them, did you do that without commitment? There, there is nothing that we can do that is amazing and awesome in our lives without commitment, okay? Without commitment. Uh, I'm sorry. Commit, uh, let me read this one to you real quick. Commitment uh, is the bridge, okay? Here's, here's my reality. Here's my dream. How do I get this dream into my reality? Commitment. That's the bridge to do it, okay? Without commitment, we dabble endlessly in a multitude of interests. If we don't focus, if we don't commit to something, then we'll dabble with every little thing. You know, any, anything that's shiny, anything that's exciting, anything that interests us is going to draw our attention away, and we're not going to be doing what we really need to do to build the awesome dream life to live the dream. By not having a commitment, without commitment, we dabble endlessly in a multitude of interests instead of focusing our time, talents, finances, etc., into doing something amazing with our lives. We have to have commitment to build amazing. We have to have commitment to live the dream. Okay, it's it's like, you know, you ever heard anybody talk about, you know, this adult ADD, you know, we have? I mean, there's, I mean, ADD is not just a childhood thing. I mean, we got it too. We don't want to commit. We'd rather just live by our ADD, right? And we're like that little 10-month-old 10, 10 puppy. You know, that, that you, you're trying to teach them a, a trick or something, but, but a squirrel runs by. Squirrel, squirrel. Did y'all see the squirrel? Squirrel, squirrel. You know, like that's the way the little puppy does, right? You know, and we do the same thing, don't we? Come on, don't we? Like we want to 
work on our finances. We need to get our credit rating up. And so we want to work on our finances. We need to pay off some debt, maybe a old school debt or maybe a credit card or something. We had to, you know, we had an emergency. And so we had to put it on a credit card and so now we need to pay it down. So we start working on it. Maybe, maybe we even cut back on, on, uh, on eating out quite as often. Maybe we, we stop, you know, buying extra lives, that favorite game we've got on our cell phone or whatever, you know. And we, and we just start doing some of those things. We, but we don't really commit that here I'm going to do this with my finances. But we start working on some things, and, and things start getting a little bit better here or there, you know, and, and maybe we start paying that debt down, and, and our credit rating, you know, starts boosting up just a little bit, you know, and, and things start getting better, and, and, you know, but we hadn't really, like, made any rules, but we just kind of really working on a little bit, and, and just about the time things seem to be getting better, seem, seem like just about the time it seems like we start to be making some progress. So bass boat, bass boat. Did y'all see that bass boat? Anybody see the bass boat? Did y'all see that bass boat? Right? Come on. Doesn't it sound familiar? Adult ADD. Just like a little puppy. Squirrel. Bass boat. And there goes the financial, everything, because we didn't, we didn't commit to a plan. You can do the same thing with your marriage. You know, by not saying, I'm committed to this thing. You can do the same thing with your job, your career. I, I've seen people say, well, I just need a career. Well, you commit to something. Pick something. Choose. Jump in and say, God, show me what it is. And, and I've seen people that say, God, God has shown me what it is. And five minutes later, they find out about a job making $10 more than, than they were making it and say, oh, that's, that's better. Let me go do that. You know, and without commitment, that's what we do is we endlessly pursue whatever shiny new thing comes back. Here's a quote, and uh, I've used this before, but it's been a long time. And uh, I, I believe this was actually written in a POW camp during World War II uh, by W.M. Murray. Listen, th this is awesome. He says, until one is committed, there is hesitancy. That sounds like, duh, right? Think about it. If you're not committed, you're hesitating. The chance to draw back, if you're not committed, there's, then you've always got to a reason or a way to draw back, and always ineffectiveness. I like how he brought it down. Serious now. This isn't a potential to be ineffective, but until there's commitment, there's always going to be ineffectiveness. If you aren't committed to something, you aren't going to be effective in it. Concerning all acts of initiative and creation, there is one elementary truth, the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans. Okay, uh, here's, here's what he just said in that. That was awesome. I love the way he wrote that. That was awesome, okay? Here's what he's saying. Is he's saying, live, if you want to live the dream, everything about initiative, creation, everything awesome in your life that can happen, there is one truth that we ignore so often, and here it is. The moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves too. Okay, now providence is what, what the world, you know, people that are outside of Christianity, they call luck. But inside the church, when we say providence, what we mean is God showing up and doing stuff that we didn't imagine he was going to do, okay? And so what he says is, is that the moment we definitely commit, then providence starts showing up, okay? There's a second page, second part of that, this quote. All sorts of things begin to occur, occur, occur to help, one that would never otherwise have occurred. A whole stream of events issue from the decision to commit, raising in one's favor all manner of unforeseen incidents and meetings and material assistance. Have you, have you ever, you ever had, had it happen to you or, or heard somebody talk about how as soon as they started really 
you know, it seemed like just, man, all the dominoes started falling. Everything just started happening. It's like God just started opening doors here or there. That, that's what he's talking about right, right here. All manner of unforeseen incidents and meetings and material assistance, which no man could have dreamed would come his way. All those things began to happen. Here's, here's what he's saying right here, wrap, wrapping this up. Here's what he's saying is, is until you commit to something, God can't help you because God's trying to help you with your finances and you're over here buying a bass boat. You know, or God says, I'm going to help you with your, with your marriage, and then all of a sudden you're making some new friends, and we're going we're gonna to go bowling three nights a week. Or God's trying to help you with, with some area of your life, but you're not committed, to, so God can't help you. God's waiting for you to make some decisions. And ask somebody, they'll tell you. Ask any Christian that's been successful in any area of their life, they will tell you when they made a commitment to an area, that's when they opened the door for God to show up. Providence happened, meaning that, that, that awesome move of God where doors began opening, where it's like the sky just parted and blessings and miracles began to follow. Say, so wait a minute, that sounds like what we were talking about in the first place. Yes, God wants you living the dream and the, you've got to, to be able to live the dream, you've got to make some commitment. It's the fourth, the fourth thing that you've got to do, and, and, and you've got to embrace is making some commitments. And, and, and where? you got to make a, renew your commitment. Brother Phil was telling me some things that God showed him this morning, and, and it's a, just renew your commitment to God. It's just, just a, a reaffirmation of that. Yeah, renew your commitment to him, your, your commitment to, to his word. You know, knowing what his word is saying and what his word is challenging in you, renew your commitment to his church. Listen, and, and, and committing to a church does not mean joining a church. Anybody could join a church. Committing to a church says, I am part of this church, and you are committing to And who is the church? Right. So if I commit to the church, I'm committing to you, saying you can count on me. I'm going to be here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you worship on Sunday. I'm going to help you pray on Monday. I'm going I'm to be in small group with you on Tuesday, and on and on and on. That's committing to a church, committing to things. You've got to make some commitment. And, and listen, again, I'm not talking here about salvation. I'm not talking about getting to heaven. I'm talking about living the dream life till you get there. You might be, you might be struggling through and your salvation be intact, but we're preaching about getting, living the dream life today. And if you want the dream life, these are the things you're going to have to do. You've been listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. If you have a prayer need, our prayer team and pastoral staff would love to pray with you. You can send us your prayer requests by using the email address prayer at church2911.com. If you would like to know more about our church, including information about our weekly services, please check out church2911.com. Thank you for listening. We hope you know that God has an amazing dream for you. And as always, we dare you to dream.